Hi everybody, and welcome to this episode of Surfing the Sixes and Sevens from Sinsel Steps and Development Plus. Local stories and discussions with people in and around Sinsel Bank, the wider Lincoln area and beyond, connecting with each other and spreading your favourite jam on the toast of life as we toddle through the topsy-turvy and surf the sixes and sevens together. Hi, and today I'm delighted to welcome Rory Gregg to Surfing the Sixes and Sevens. Rory is a font of knowledge on all things traditional music. A talented singer, fiddle and concertina player, he has literally tracked down songs and musicians on his bike. He also linked singers in his own family with the great Ewan McColl and Peggy Seeger, who were collecting songs at the time. In addition, Rory has helped generations of pupils to learn and to embrace education throughout a distinguished teaching career prior to retirement. He has also provided lots of opportunities for local musicians. Rory appreciates the treasure at our feet that many others may ignore or discount. He has the insight to dignify it, to shine it up and to bring it out into the open where it can breathe again. Rory, it's great to have you as today's guest on Surfing the Sixes and Sevens. Hello, Rory. Can you hear me okay? Yes, that's fine, Ian. Great. Well, listen, it's great that you've been able to um, join us this afternoon. Thanks for being our guest on Surfing the Sixes and Sevens. And I know that our listeners are going to be really interested in um, what you might want to share with us this afternoon. So could I just kick us off then by just asking where it was that you were born? I wasn't born in Lincolnshire. I, I, I was born down in Northampton, at the Barrett Maternity Home, back in 1948. And did you spend much of your early life in that part of the country or was that fairly short-lived? And uh, that was uh, only for a fairly short time. I uh, Sadly, uh, um, when I was three, uh, a few years later, 1952, my father died suddenly and we uh, had to move uh, to, to Grimsby and live with my grandparents. All oh, right, Okay. And um, I'm sorry to hear that, but um, did you want to say something about some of your early memories about resettling in the Grimsby area then and perhaps day trips or holidays that you might have had at that time? Or <laughs> Well, I've, I've just had my uh, 72nd birthday and uh, one of my earliest memories of coming to a Gr- uh, Grimsby was that uh, I, I, I did get one or two people commenting that I was uh, spending a lot of time uh, telling everybody when my birthday was because uh, I think I arrived. We arrived at the end of April, and I'd only got two weeks to tell everybody when my birthday was. So <laughs> obviously, I, I must have been a, an early mercenary streak. But uh, we were sent. Um, my brother and I, elder brother and I, uh, over to Grimsby before before my mother arrived, and and we stayed with my aunt in Seaview Street in Cleethorpes. And I do remember my mother arriving, clutching the goldfish, goldfish bowl with the goldfish swimming around it in the in the front seat of the car. She arrived at my grandparents. I can still picture that now. Oh, my Lord. Sad, time, sad times. Yeah, yeah. And, and can you remember um, any early sort of day trips or holidays out and about in that area or beyond? Or 
Yeah, well, the, the, the first uh, actual holiday I remember was at uh, Humberston Fitties, which is uh, only about five or six miles from where where we lived. But uh, we, we uh, took holidays there for a number of years. And if uh, if some of your listeners have n- never heard of what Humberston Fitties is, it, it's a, a collection of of um, mainly wooden bungalows uh, that were built mainly, I think, in the 1930s, 1920s. And they uh, formed a sort of a little community down the coast uh, from Cleethorpes. And uh, this was in the days before there were large collections of caravans down down the East Coast. And before the caravans arrived, uh, this is where... Holidays used to take place, and uh, some people would spend most of the summer uh, at their um, at their bungalows on, on the fitties, and uh, sometimes they they would still go to work, or they, the the man of the house would go to work in Grimsby, and then come back to the the fitties in the evening. So it was a, li- a little world of its own uh, d- down below Cleethorpes. And, and I guess. My first ho- my first holiday that I remember there, um, the, the thing I remember was the fact that it rained so much and uh, standing on the, the veranda of the bungalow, which was enclosed and uh, with my elder brother, and we were playing at being on ships in monsoons and we were on the bridge and sailing the ship through the monsoon weather that we had outside. It must have been just before the 1953 floods, because I remember being told how the bungalow that we'd been in had, in fact, floated away in the, in the subsequent floods. Oh God, adventurous days! And uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, would you have been would you have been conscious of the big fishing fleet in Grimsby at that time? Or well, my my grandfather was uh, uh, he worked for a, a company um, uh, who who did uh, insurance for ships, um, and he was a, a marine surveyor and and was an expert in in salvaging. So I, we we heard a lot about ships and and. He had been all over Northern Europe, um, rescuing trawlers that had run aground, and uh, and so well, lots of stories about those. Yes, yeah, I bet he had some interesting um, stories to tell. Uh, well, yes, he was a great storyteller, and and used to uh, amuse his grandkids uh, greatly with the uh, stories of his adventures at sea and. Um, Strange uh, birds that flew backwards in the desert when he was in Egypt uh, and things like that to keep the sand out of their eyes and, and, and about how he, how we went to sea and the, uh, the maggots uh, uh, used to be diving into the porridge from the edge of his plate and, and things like that. And uh, he was a great fund of stories, yes. Yeah, and they're the kind of stories that kind of both fascinate and horrify at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I remember now. I was just thinking about one then. He described how he was fighting off some of the natives who he, uh, he called Lascars, which I think uh, I'm not quite. I can't remember which area of the the Middle East, uh, Far East they're from, but he was fighting them. And he said, "I had to take my bi- bo- boys' brigade belt off, and I was w- uh, swinging it around my head to fight them off, or, or something." So, yeah, different adventures. Yeah, and. Um... A long time ago, but can, can you remember any formative um, TV or radio programs that you really enjoyed at the time? 
Well, yeah, I suppose like an awful lot of uh, little boys at that age, I was very much into my cowboy, cowboy and Indian sort of programs and lots of people played at Hopalong Cassidy and people like that. I think The Lone Ranger was one of my f- uh, favourites. I, I did, uh, and I always rather identified with Tonto. I was always a, uh, a fan of the the Indians and was... Uh, was a, I was um, in, I remember again one of my very earliest memories at a, was at a Christmas my brother and I had similar presents he was bought the cowboy a set of cowboys and I was bought a set of Indians and I think this was a, a very formative influence in my life and I think I've been on the side of the underdog ever since. Oh, we'll come back and talk to you that. Talk to you about that in a bit. Uh, can you can you remember um, what the first thing you was that you saw at the cinema? Yes, I can. I can remember that, uh, and because it's a cinema that no longer exists, I think if it, I'm not even sure it exists as a bingo hall anymore. But down Alexandra Road in Grimsby, there was a, a cinema called the Queens, and and it was a bit of a what we called flea pit in those days. But we went to see Rob Roy. And coming from a family of Scottish descent, uh, and I think my father uh, was also had come from Aberdeen. And after he died, I think my mother was uh, very keen to boost our Scottishness. So we went along to see the film of Rob Roy dressed in kilts with uh, cardboard uh, shields and wooden swords and and cheered most of the way through the uh, uh, through the film when uh, rob roy managed to defeat his english enemies <laughs> <laughs> and can you remember i mean obviously i know that music's been a big part of your life since but can you remember the first record that you might have purchased or the first gig that you went to or? yeah well i i, th- I think I th- my f- my my first ever record i think was a, a 78 of the uh, buddy holly and the crickets of That'll be the day. And then I think the first folk record I got was of the Ian Campbell folk group of uh, called Cayley at the Crown, which included a, a, a rendition of uh, a shanty by Dave Swarbrick, a rare example of him actually singing rather than playing his fiddle. And So uh, those would be the... Sorry, Rory, where, where, did your, where did your love of traditional music sort of originate then? Yeah, that, it's a, li- a little bit vague exactly where that came from, but uh, the, uh, I certainly remember uh, my uh, music interests. I, I very much liked the the Rolling Stones when most people were were listening to the Beatles and being very fond of them. I was more keen on the Stones, and then of uh, the Animals uh, from Tyneside, and in particular their record of "Hats of the Rising Sun," which was. Uh, really grabbed grabbed you by the ear holes and 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 it lasted uh, quite a lot longer than most of the pop songs at the time and had a tremendous sort of power in the uh, in the in the lyrics and also in the music and i think from that i found where the song came from from because it was a, a rendition of a bob dylan song and that led, brought me into uh, very early dylan and Dylan included quite a lot of traditional uh, American songs on his, his very first LP. Uh, so that was one influence. And then uh, when I started to be interested in those sort of songs, my, my mother and my uh, in particular would say to me, uh, you ought to go and see your Auntie Jessie and, and ask her about these because she knows some of these. She was one of the last surviving sisters of... Um, seven uh, sisters, uh, one of whom was my grandmother. 
and she lived in Grimsby. And so I went to see her and, and discovered that she had a fund of traditional songs, some of which were uh, from Scotland and one or two that she'd uh, learned in her time in, in England. She was actually born in Grimsby, but her mother was Scottish and her father was Scottish. They'd both come from, down from the north of the east of Scotland. So some of the songs she sang were from that part of the world. But being a singer herself, she'd picked up songs from the local music hall. One of the songs she sang was from, she'd learned from a Piero show on Cleethorpe's Beach. Uh, another one she'd learned when she was out picking potatoes at Marsh Chapel. Uh, and, and I recorded a lot of these songs uh, on an old tape, tape recorder, which I, which I got hold of. And I also told... Um, you and McCall and Peggy Seeger, uh, when they came to the folk club at Grimsby, uh, which I was a, a floor singer, uh, about her, and they were very interested and, and made a special trip to come up to, uh, to Grimsby to visit her and to record her singing. So, so that was a very interesting and good opportunity to meet them. Yeah, and, and did, you, did you actually um, go when they recorded that session, um... Oh, yes, 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 yes. I was there and uh, I, I helped with a bit of prompting because uh, when, when Auntie Jessie was a bit uh, awestruck with the, the, the occasion, it, it was helpful to have somebody else there who could remind, remind her of some of the songs that she knew or help with verses that she might have uh, forgotten a bit. So uh, I, helped, uh, I helped sort of keep the session running. And also I was... Um, lent, uh, uh, again, I didn't have one of my own, a, a tape recorder from a lady from Lincoln Folk Club called, uh, and, and I remember her name was Sheila, but I can't remember her second name. But I, I, we, I occasionally used to get over to Lincoln to the club when it was the, at the Turk's Head on Newport. And the, the, I think it was Arthur Sheesby who ran it. And Nigel Denver was the, was the resident singer. But this lady, Sheila, lent me a portable tape recorder. And I, so I recorded the session that you and McCall also re, uh, recorded. And were there a lot of American songs being sung in the uh, British scene at that stage? Or It was a mixture and, and people tend to be moving in, uh, in, in different directions. And some people definitely moving towards the New Lost City Rambler type uh, material as it was in those days. And a lot of... Um, Things like the the uh, the early uh, Pete Seeger stuff and the the Weavers songs, Peter Paul and Mary uh, uh, songs as well. So there was that strong element, and then there was also the element of people who were looking more into their own local traditions, particularly into Scottish and Irish, and then I think gradually more looking into the English as well. And so I think as a as a, as a as a culture. Uh, uh, the, the English people t tended to value their traditions less than the Irish or Scots. Yeah, and, and did you want to say a little bit about how you actually um, picked up an instrument initially? Yeah, well, that was that was mainly, again, with family connections because my, my father uh, had been a, a violin player. I never, I, I don't remember him playing at all. I was so tiny. Uh, I was only three, as I say, when he died. But but we had his uh, his the violin that he'd had when he was a, a boy, and we also had his full size violin in the house. And so when I started to get interested in music, I think I'd played recorder at 
school like a lot of people, but that's the only training I'd had. Uh, I picked up a mouth organ and found I could play that. And then I also uh, had to go at the fiddle, and, and it, it was really excruciating for my poor family to start with. But And I remember being isolated in the back kitchen and said, go and, go and play in there, and, and uh, learning on simple hymn tunes and things like that to, to play it by ear. I've never, never had any lessons at that stage. Uh, and then I went to see my, another aunt, another great aunt, Auntie Lottie, and and she uh, said you better come up here and, and she took me up into one of the the back bedrooms in her large old victorian house and said you better have this if you like that sort of music and and she produced uh, an old anglo-german concertina uh, just a 20 row 20 button latinal uh, fairly simple one which had belonged to my great grandfather and he was he used to play scots tunes and uh evidently also used to step dance as he played which uh, i would have liked to have seen but he died back in 1928 i think but uh, <laughs> I, I i inherited his, his concertina and so that started me off and since a an anglo concertina is very much like a mouth organ with bellows it was not too hard to learn to play yeah and can you remember the first time that you performed um, publicly at all? Uh, I, I'd always been, a, a, I suppose, a, a, I, I can remember singing from quite an early age at, at school and in choirs and things like that. And then I suppose it was probably going to Grimsby Folk Club, which in those days uh, was in Fleethorpes, of course, like, like Grimsby Town Football Club, never played at home. Um, it was in the Queen's Hotel down Seaview Street in Fleethorpes, and the resident group were the the Meggies, which included John Connolly, Bill Meek, and uh, Bob Blair, a Scots uh, chap who I got quite friendly with. And I think it was there uh, I started uh, singing as a floor singer and uh, singing uh, in a duo with a friend of mine from school called Morris Smith, and the two of us also started up a, a school folk club on the on the stage of the of Winteringham Grammar School where I went. We were actually allowed to have a a joint folk club with the girls' school, and it was the only club where the the boys and girls could actually meet. And we had a couple of teachers who who helped us: uh, Dennis Moore and uh, Mr. Sedgwick. I can't remember his first name. But the, the, the two of them used to come along and they were the sort of um, uh, supporters. They, they gave us our, our uh, badge of uh, respectability. And, but Morris and I ran the club and that ran quite successfully for two or three years. And do you think the fact that that was uh, mixed with the girls from the neighbouring school was um, an attraction or something that might have scared some of children from both schools off? No, no, it was definitely an attraction. It was a, an opportunity for to to get together and make friends and and, and possibly also make a girlfriend boyfriend relationships as well. But uh, but I, I don't remember that much now. <laughs> but but I, I, there wasn't a lot of mixture between the the, the schools. Uh, certainly, officially, uh, we used to meet up uh, on the school field between the two schools. But uh, but. It was nice to have an occasion where we, where everybody could get together. And where did life take you then, um, job-wise, when you finished school, Rory? 
Well, I was planning to go to do to study sociology at Nottingham, and I, I got down. I went down for a, an interview and and had a, a very nice offer. Uh, they, they they just wanted me to do to get two C's in in uh, in my A level. So I think they probably quite wanted me. But uh, when my results came out, I got a C, a D, and an E. So I didn't quite get the offer. Uh, so. I, I, I didn't go, uh, so I uh, stuck with it without anything to do. My uh, family suggested that I, I went into the law, so I, I spent a year as a, an article clerk to a solicitor in the town and then decided I'd, uh, I'd give law a go and went off to university to do uh, a law degree and spent a year in, in Newcastle. Um, uh, again, going to lots of folk clubs and singing and listening to the music up there. Uh, but probably not working hard enough uh, and getting in, uh, getting thoroughly involved in student life and student protests and things like that. And uh, not being very good at constitutional law in particular, I failed the exams So uh, and also failed the resits. So um, I, uh, that, that was the end of my legal career and I decided I'd go into teaching. And uh, I applied to be a... Uh, a student teacher, as you could in those days, an unqualified teacher in Grimsby. And I thought I would go and teach English in a secondary school, but they put me in a primary school. And uh, I ended up teaching there for a year and thoroughly enjoyed it. And I enjoyed the fact that I could teach lots of different subjects, including music, art, sport, and the whole range of things. So I decided I'd go into primary education. I went off to uh, Sheffield and did my teacher training there. And stayed on and did an extra year and a degree there. Did a degree there as well. And did that provide an outlet for music as well in terms of um, what you could offer the children in that context, or was that not something that you were pursuing at that time? Yes, I, I, I can't. Uh, I can't remember doing a great deal of folk music with the with the school but i i very much do enjoyed doing music but it was more simple creative music often sort of doing uh carl orff type improvisation music with um uh glockenspiels and xylophones and percussion and that that sort of things but of course in those days we still had uh singing on the radio so there were some folk songs in in, in there that we used to do and I did make the effort sometimes to do projects with the children to write down their traditional singing games and songs which they sung for themselves. So I was taking an interest in those days. Yeah, and I know that um, you've done a lot of research and we've spoken about you heading off on the bike to record people. Um, did you want to say anything further about that in terms of the oral history um, part of that and what you might have learned about ordinary people's lives? Because obviously one of the things that strikes me is that um, our initial introduction to history is often via kind of dates and countries and kings and queens. And you're actually talking to ordinary people about the events of their day-to-day -day life um, is, well, to my way of thinking, actually really more fascinating in terms of what it tells us about life, work, society, culture, all those sorts of things. Well, I'm, I'm like you. My, my interest in history is, is more in social history, though uh, I suppose I'm also interested in political history and the way, way, way society changes. But 
I've always had a strong interest in in hearing about people's lives and people's ordinary lives, uh, which started again, I suppose, in my own family, because we, uh, usually social evenings would consist of reminiscences about um, p- people long gone and 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 life in the old days and that sort of thing. So it was a natural extension for me to to make to to take an interest in other other people's lives uh, and combining that with folk song and also being inspired by uh i met a chap called bob thompson who uh was doing a lot of research down in the cambridge sort of area and had started collecting from people uh in uh, collecting songs from people in the fens and i went to stay with him a couple of times and on one occasion we we went on a trip over to see harry cox who you've probably heard of mm-hmm. uh, in catfield in norfolk and so i met him and and heard him sing a few ditties but that sort of inspired me to ha- have a look for folk songs in my no- my own area in northeast lincolnshire and um not having other tra- any other transport apart from lincolnshire road cars and my bike uh, i i used to go out and and find places where I thought there might be people who knew songs and also in the process uh, ask people about um, life in former times because you couldn't just generally go up to say somebody, excuse me, do you know any songs? You generally would be asking them about, uh, I'm interested in in life in the olden times. Can you tell me a bit uh, about how life was when you were young or when you were working on the farms. Because if you went into any of the villages, you, you would f- usually find in those days uh, a group of old lads sitting on a bench somewhere to, uh, 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 passing the time of day. Or if you went into most of the little old pubs that were still uh, on the go in those days, you'd find uh, a group of them sitting around, sitting around with their halves of mild at lunchtime. Uh, passing the time of the day and, and their half of mile would be costing them uh, what, the equivalent of today's 5p uh, I suppose uh, a pint would be about 10 pence so they, they it didn't cost them an awful lot and it was it was a good social life for them but, uh, so I, I, heard, I used to hear a lot about plowing techniques and uh, and, and old uh, dialect terms for different jobs and uh, all those sort of things which i found fascinating i suppose they, they must have been delighted really that somebody was taking an interest and and were happy to share them with you yes uh, and uh, as time went on also i i uh, i got a connection with um, university of sheffield because there was a a group at the university called the survey of language and folklore who uh, would actually, if you were an active field worker, if you wanted to go and do some field work to record people's reminiscences, they would lend you a tape recorder. So I got a, a Telefunken 300 uh, portable tape recorder, um, five-inch reel-to-reel recorder, and uh, which you could just carry around very easily. And so uh, I took that uh, nearly everywhere I went uh, to uh, to record people's reminiscences. I even came down to Lincoln uh, on one occasion or just south of Lincoln to, uh, to uh, Washingborough to, um, and I recorded uh, the, the songs from a chap who was um, singing at the local fishing match, a chap called uh, Adge Blackburn, I think his name was. So, uh, yes, it was, it was uh, interesting to having a sort of a window on, 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 on a culture that was 
was passing at that stage. It was it was disappearing, and I I, I think I, I I saw the last uh, parts of that element. So the, the times when he used to have Saturday night sing songs in the pub around the around the piano, that sort of thing, which I think have largely gone, except for open mics and the like, which is something totally different. Yeah. And um, I know that music's played a, a, a large part in your life, but I know from a discussion that we've had previously that for, on at least one occasion, you've probably felt a bit like giving up with the music. And I just wondered if you wanted to say who or what it was that kept you going and how the music's contributed to your own mental health over the years? Yes. Yes, I've certainly given up on, on quite a few occasions. Um I, w- I would never be somebody who would class myself as an expert musician. I've got I've got an ear for a reasonable ear for music, and I can hold a tune all right, and and I can uh, play uh, up to a certain uh, level. I sort of aspire to mediocrity, but uh, I, I certainly have found a number of occasions in 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 my life where you. You hear people who are really expert, who are really good players, not just nationally known professional musicians, but also local people who are uh, really good players. And it, it can make you think, well, I'm just wasting my time here. You know, the, 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 I will never, I will never in a in a month of Sundays be able to match to match their sort of level. And uh, you may as well give up. And uh, I think on several occasions I have either lost interest or, or become downhearted and depressed about the, about my uh, skills in those sort of area and, and have let things rest for a long time. It is nice when you come across people who are enthusiasts and aren't just enthusiasts for the music themselves. They are also people who inspire others and, and will in, include and involve them. And uh, I would certainly include that uh, uh, Liam Robinson, uh, who uh, who lives in Lincoln, who was uh, a great help. He and he, and his mother, Alison, both of them uh, uh, lovely people. And I, I used to go to some of the sessions in in Grimsby, and and I remember being given a lift by by them and and being a bit downhearted and they and they would be saying oh come on yes that would that was re- really being encouraging and 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 uh lifting my spirits in that uh, that department and liam certainly when he started the sessions that we used to have at the museum of lincolnshire life which were um, monthly afternoon sessions were was so inclusive uh, inclusive anybody who came along who uh, was who could manage to play a tune? It wasn't a question of them having to uh, just hang on by the by the coattails with other people. He would slow down the tune and he would make sure that we played at the beginner's pace to include them and to bring them on and to involve them. He was extremely good at that, uh, so I very much appreciated his input. Yeah, I certainly number myself in that camp as well as one of those musicians who. Um benefited greatly from his encouragement and tuition actually um you know when i started and um and i think there are a large number of people in the lincoln area who owe him actually a huge debt of gratitude for um not just his skill but his encouragement as you say so um 
it's good to such a, a just such a skillful player and and somebody who could play alongside anybody in the country as as good as any professional I came across, but also somebody who would very readily uh, bring on, encourage, and include people of much le- much lesser ability. And uh, I aspire to mediocrity. And, and, and these days, I shan't be giving up anymore because I, I, I have finally learned that, that even though there, there will always be people who are far, far better than I am, I can still hold my own to my own level and get a lot of enjoyment about, a, about what I do, um, from what I do. <laughs> yeah, I heard a good thing um, recently where somebody was saying um... – um, it's not about um, comparing ourselves to others, but sometimes about comparing ourselves to how we were ourselves yesterday, you know, and um, that's certainly something that's helped me. But what I was wondering was, do you think there are wider life lessons that can be applied from learning a musical instrument or a song from heart on a day-to-day basis? Uh, yes, yes, I'm, I'm absolutely sure that there are. Uh, and I think it's very good for your mental health um actually i know um liam's partner uh, and uh, frank uh, uh, was uh, i know did quite a bit of research into the values of, of community that uh, the mental health and community singing because he did at that stage he was involved in in running community choirs and and she uh, I shared quite a lot of research with her and, and read quite a lot of it and and the the benefits of of singing uh, solo but also uh, probably even more singing with other people are, are, are tremendous and and I think similarly with with musical instruments it's partly playing an instrument on your own is good in that it I think singing and playing even if it's on your own, it's a sort of a focused activity, and when you're involved in that, then the rest of the world can go by, and 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 you you can blot out all the other uh, trivia that or the all the, the, the trials and trivia that are pressing in on your life, and focus on what you are really doing. I mean, in the current example, I'm I, uh, you can always keep learning. I'm having um, fiddle lessons from a, a lady in in Edinburgh who uh, over Skype. And I'm learning to uh, uh, extend my knowledge of, of folk music and try and play more in the Scottish style with Strathspeys and things. So uh, uh, that, that's, again, helping me through the lockdown. Brilliant. What would you say to somebody out there who might be thinking about picking up an instrument or who might be wanting to have a crack at singing, especially if they haven't had a go before? Or I suppose more... Um, typically might feel that they're writing themselves off because they feel that they've left it too late i don't think i don't think it's ever too late uh, and and it doesn't matter if you if you can't sing at all uh, that most of the events that i'm sort of uh, involved in and 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 singing type get togethers would also include poetry and, and people who either write poetry or just like reciting other people's poems uh, and and sharing their favourites. Uh, so currently, it's nearly all Zoom based. Uh, that uh, there are lots of get-togethers of one sort that that used to be person to person, but they're currently online. And until the 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 current situation improves and, and restrictions are relaxed, so oh. I'm not quite. 
I was just going to ask where, where you think um, somebody could best sort of look if they're interested in finding out a bit more about how to get involved. Well, social media is, is uh, springs to mind straight away, and especially Facebook, because the, there are lots of uh, community groups who, who have uh, continued their activities through using Zoom, and the, but the link to those Zoom activities is usually through Facebook, because uh, with security issues, internet security issues and so on, uh, Zoom can be uh, open to invaders, uh, people who uh, just want to come in and spoil the session for no reason whatsoever, except devilment. And, and so you, usually the invitation to join them will go up by email and not be uh, put public. But, but, but if you search for in your area community groups or for local choirs, uh, I know there are ukulele groups for example, who are having online sessions where one person will play and sing a song and then other people will mute themselves on, on Zoom and be able to play along. And similarly with choirs, a, a friend of mine, her, her daughter is running a 50-strong a choir up in Townside called the Cademont Choir. And again, it's her, um, she has to lead, but everybody else can then sing along. And so it's nearly like being... Uh, with, with everybody else, and we look forward to the days where we can actually be physically together again. But uh, th through Facebook in particular, if you search for, um, for community groups, uh, and I'm quite sure that you will find people that you can contact and uh, join in their activities. Yeah, thanks for that. And uh, we're living through strange days, and I'm sure we're all at a bit of sixes and sevens at the moment. What three tips would you give to the people of Lincoln and Sinsel Bank to help us all surf the sixes and sevens at the moment, Rory? Yeah. Um, uh, I hesitate to give advice, isn't it? What was the old thing? What, does everyone, what is everyone happy to give and nobody's very willing to receive? And the answer is advice. Uh, but the, the three things, I suppose, that sprang to mind, uh, spring to mind immediately was... First of all, pursue your interests. Uh, think about what you enjoy doing and, and whether it's your garden or, or home decorating or whatever thing is. Uh, do sort of uh, use the opportunity to uh, pursue those. And not just one thing. I mean, I, I'm somebody who, who's got lots of different interests. So currently uh, my house I can uh, I can read and I've got a, a thousand piece jigsaw that's on the go and I've got uh, yoga videos that I watch on YouTube sometimes and uh, books to read and uh, as well as normal jobs around the house so uh, having a lots of things to do I think is a key uh, secondly I think having a routine is a good idea uh, sometimes it's easy just to sit and do nothing. But if you know that you normally do certain things at certain times of day, whether it's walking the dog or, or these sort of things, it keeps you doing them and, and, and helps you get over those times when you're tempted just to sit in your chair and do absolutely nothing. Uh, and in connection with that, uh, the third one would be look after your health. Uh, and uh, in, in my case, I, I think, 
I particularly value value exercise. And uh, though I'm, I'm, I used to do running years ago. I did some uh, and ran a few Lincoln half marathons and things. But these days, my knees wouldn't put up with that. But I do regularly go for a, a good brisk walk uh, up to an hour in the, in the morning. And, and watch my diet and, and, and uh, tr- try and uh, do other th- keep 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 an eye on your health and and, and uh, without being too sanctimonious look after yourself yeah brilliant and if you could fly an aircraft um, over Lincoln or Sinsel Bank and design one of those big signs fluttering out of the back for everybody in Lincoln <laughs> to see what slogan would you put on it Rory yeah, right. Well, I'm not really sure about that one. One thing that that uh, occurs straight away is the uh, that little phrase that in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, when the um, when the Earth is being threatened with demolition by, uh, as part of a, a galactic bypass. The uh, the dolphins decide that uh, all of a sudden they they disappear and uh, uh, magically uh, trans uh, trans uh, transferred themselves to a different environment or something, uh, but they there's just this message they leave behind which was so long and thanks for the fish so which <laughs> which which always uh, would rather intrigue and entertain people and I, I did wonder about. I've done a lot of research into local tunes and transcribed uh, hundreds of of tunes from old manuscripts uh, as part of the thing called the Village Music Project. And one of those manuscripts is uh, was from Holton Limor near Caister, and and I think the last tune in the book always intrigued me and uh, uh, perhaps somebody around Sinsel Bank will know more of the story for me and then they could contact me and tell me because the title of the just the tune is As Sure As The Devils In Lincoln. So uh, uh, it sounds like it could be part of a song or part of a saying or, uh, but or whether it has any connection with the, the imps down at Sinsel Bank uh, or up in the cathedral. But that's the second one that I, I thought. But then Actually, I thought the nicest thing to put on the back of a plane would probably be just smile. Yeah, that's great. Listen, Rory, thanks a million for joining us this afternoon. Um, Enjoy the rest of your afternoon and uh, weekend and stay safe and well. And thanks for joining us on Surfing the Sixes and Sevens. It's been great. We've only really scratched the surface and could have talked for hours about music. But uh, (laughs) thanks very much for your time. I really appreciate it. And thank you very much for inviting me, Ian, and good luck with your projects. Okay, all the best. Take care then. Bye. Surfing the Sixes and Sevens is a weekly podcast comprising of a light-hearted and informative discussion with an amazing person with some connection to Sinsel Bank and or Lincoln. We'll be sharing our passion for community and the power each of us has to make a difference in the ordinary everyday things we do together. If you feel that you would benefit from some coaching and mentoring to support you in the achievement of your own goals, Sinsel Steps has space and it's completely free to residents in the Sinsel Bank area of Lincoln. Please ring me on 07534 444 601 if you'd like to find out more. The project is currently running until the 24th of July.